0: Here's the thing though. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Siliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how are you? How's it going?
1: I'm good. I had crumpets for breakfast today, which were very yummy. So I'm in a very good mood. (laughs) How are you today?
0: Uh, I'm good. I am very, very happy that we're finally getting some cold weather right now. It's actually quite chilly at the moment. I'm in, like, two or three layers, and I'm all, like, warm in my little sweater or a Mitch's sweater. And, like, I just love that I'm not hot. Mm. I just – I hate summer so much. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I just hate summer. I hate being hot, and I hate, like, sticky humidity, and I hate sweating, and I just hate all of it. I love being in fluffy socks and, like, jumpers and having a cup of tea and just being nice and warm and cozy without, like, the heat, you know? So – also, my fashion is thriving. Right yeah, now. I was going
1: to say summer fashion isn't really my vibe. But I got to wear my sweater and turtleneck yesterday. So I'm feeling pretty good.
0: I know. Just the vanity of it all. I exactly. love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, especially for me. Like, bro, I wear a hijab. Like, there's only so many layers of clothes I can take off in summer. And it's just not cute. Like, my long sleeve tee, my mom jeans are just not cute. I want to wear, like, London fashion. I want to wear coats and sweater vests. <laughs> 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 anyway, we're both very happy that it's cold again. But anyway, enough about the weather. I am going to move into our follow-up for today just because I've got actually a couple of things that I want to say. The first thing I'll mention is that the March for Justice was yesterday for women's rights, um, which I think was like, I'm not going to say controversial, but I think there were some conflicting uh, experiences that people had with the marches yesterday. I was at the Sydney one. Um, To be honest, from where I was standing, I honestly could not hear a single thing that the speakers were saying, which which kind of sucked because obviously I want to be like in on it. I want to like vibe. I want to be like, yes, go off, sis. That's know?
1: often typical for large protests though. Yeah, and it back. was
0: really big. I was actually surprised um, by the turnout because it was like a Monday. Most of the big protests that happen are usually on like a Saturday because all the school kids come and stuff like that um, and non-working people can come. But yeah, it's just it was ginormous and I was like not even that like I could see the speakers kind of but I couldn't hear them and it was just hot and I mean it was just a rally I guess I can't really say much about what was going on because I don't really know there was a large police presence though which I was uncomfortable about however something I wanted to mention about the police which I saw echoed about the Melbourne rally is that like they were just like hanging around and like not hustling anybody and from someone that's been to a lot of protests in Sydney, I can assure you that this is normally not the case. Typically, the police are usually really quite aggressive, and they aren't really afraid to shove you and push you and yell at you. And they're usually pretty awful at literally every rally, including climate change ones, which are you know probably one of the least controversial rallies that you can go to. But they were like actually really calm and nice, I guess, or as nice as a cop can be at the protest yesterday. And I feel like I can't help but think that's because this protest was so like white corporate girl boss vibey. Like, and I'm, I'm willing to be corrected on this if anybody was at the Sydney rally and actually heard what they were saying. But just from the vibe I was getting and from the people that I was around, it was very like, corporate white women like there were women in like their suits that are clearly on their office lunch break that were like taking Instagram selfies and then leaving five minutes later like it was very performative I don't know there was something really unwelcoming about the rally to me personally as like surprisingly the only kind of person of color that I could see in my vicinity I was like surrounded by white people which is not common at all at rallies, I find that they're typically quite diverse. It's a bit weird. And then on my live yesterday, I asked you guys how the protests were in your respective cities, and people had pretty similar things to say about all of them. Um, also claims of, like, real turfy kind of politics at the rallies. I think specifically somebody singled out the Melbourne one, which, again, unsurprising because a lot of this girlboss, uh, like, kind of feminism – is usually rooted in like the inherent femininity of like the woman, and this usually is represented through like the vagina. Think like pink pussy hats in Trump protests. You know, like reducing feminism to the to the what they are, what they consider the female body, um, and you know, similar kind of signs about like racism is small dick energy, and you know, like comments on the penis sizes of male parliament members and how this relates to their masculinity, which obviously is, again, transphobic. Just, I don't know. I feel like this is what happens when politics gets co-opted by, like, upper-middle-class corporate white women. Um, Even just, like... A lot of people were saying that Brittany Higgins' speech was really amazing, so I just read it, like, five minutes ago. And it was really good, and she also has a line where she, like, says, you know, and if it's bad for me, imagine what it's like for women of colour. But there's something uncomfortable in general about a lot of corporate white women who have right-wing politics to then be like the head of feminist movements just because like y'all kind of have a hand in perpetuating misogyny and the patriarchy until it badly affects you you know what I mean and I think that is something that we should be talking about because like why do you only care about this when you are at the at the brunt of its violence and when you become the victim of of its violence. These are issues that have been ongoing for a long time. And a lot of – I mean, the Liberal Party has been known for its misogyny and for the way it covers up sexual assault and for the way that it has been an active perpetuator of a lot of violence and, you know, just horrible shit against women. So it's just – there's something something kind of icky about the whole situation and about how, like, these rallies are being handled and who's leading them – and just on top of that, I've been seeing a lot of commentary, especially particularly from Sydney, about the exclusion of First Nations women from these protests or from the organising of these protests, which just seems ridiculous to me because if you're going to have a protest on like stolen Aboriginal land, the least you can fucking do is include First Nations people in your protest. Like, is that not the bare minimum? Um, and I know that there was, you know, quite a bit of. Unha- like there's was, there was quite a bit of commentary in sydney where like a lot lots of people that i know are quite prominent activists in women's rights were not going to the march for justice rally for that reason um so it's just i don't know i went to the rally i'm glad we had a rally but also a lot of it just seemed like performative fake and whitewashed bullshit to which me. is a shame but i'm gonna move on for that because we talked about it quite a bit yesterday's live uh and i just wanted to bring up chris porter because a few of you dm'd me asking me to talk about the fact that he has just announced his defamation suit against abc basically uh i mean you guys know that chris porter was the cabinet minister that was um accused of raping a woman in the 80s and that woman has since died by suicide and it's been really fucking sad and then the police kind of dropped the investigation because their victim is no longer here and there's, it's just it's been there's lots of issues that are happening with that And now Chris Porter is saying that this has been really bad for his mental health, that he's actually the victim in this situation, lots of witch hunting kind of vibes and he's taken leave and now he's saying he's going to sue the ABC for a trial by media, which is just fucking ridiculous to me because something that I feel like he seems to have not realised is he identified himself. The ABC reported that a cabinet minister was the alleged rapist and he was obviously not named because defamation laws in australia are fucked like you can get sued for saying pretty much anything bad about somebody that's why um britney higgins uh, alleged rapist has still not been identified is because if they do identify him and then he, he claims trial by media he's not gonna get fucking indicted for raping her so there's just lots of complications uh, but like chris porter literally like he wasn't identified he came out and identified himself as like his way of being transparent or whatever. I think it was him trying to look innocent where he was like, a guilty man wouldn't do this. (laughs) It was me that's being accused. (laughs) 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 So, you know, and like he came out and obviously he received a lot of hate and the Four Coins Report, the ABC Four Coins Report, uh, previously did a report on Chris Porter being like a fucking misogynist and it like goes all the way back to his uni days they interview colleagues staffers friends co-workers all these women that are like yep chris porter was a misogynistic pig. he commented on women's bodies he did this he did that blah, blah 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 lots of allegations um and then when chris porter identified himself as the alleged rapist they kind of revamped their chris porter a report from last year, and I think the new report's called "Bursting the Camera Bubble" or something like that. And it's just them kind of, kind of hammering down this, They're basically saying "I told you so" because they did report on Chris Porter being a fucking freak, and then you know this happened, and now he's like suing them for it. And I just think that's absurd because if he just like hadn't come out saying he was the alleged rapist, none of this would have like been an issue for him.
1: I'm thinking of the Eric Andre meme where it's like Chris Porter pointing a gun at Hannibal Buress, <laughs> and is like. Gunshots. It's like, why would the ABC identify me?
0: I don't know. Yeah, it's just no. I agree. It's like, bro, you did this to yourself. Like, I mean, if he like, and I, I mean, I'm, we all know what we actually think, but for media reasons, if he raped a woman allegedly, like, first of all, just don't rape women, <laughs> and then you will save yourself these issues. And second of all, like, I don't get how you can sue somebody after you came out. Which is why I'm hoping that the ABC will win this suit because, like. They just reported anonymously, and it is their responsibility. Like, if there are rape allegations in the cabinet, like, were they just not supposed to report it? Um, I'm pretty sure the police are going to be reinvestigating uh, this rape allegation potentially, because I know like other politicians have been pushing for it to be investigated. Although Scott Morrison is resisting, um, and if this like ends up going to court, Chris Porter is claiming that he's not going to get a fair trial because you know, everybody has kind of already decided what they think of him because of child by media. But again, he fucking identified himself. This is the confusing part. And yeah, look, I'm just saying, surely ABC like can't be in trouble for this because they did what their responsibility is, which is to report news. And the alternative to not reporting it would be to fucking silence it. So this is all dumb. I hope he fails. Anyway, the last thing that I wanted to bring up uh, was that we are actually going to do something fun next week just to, you know, alleviate some of the fucking trauma that all of us are dealing right now and given all this anti-woman business. A lot of you have asked me what I think of Moxie, which is a new Netflix movie uh, about, like, campus feminism. And I haven't seen it, and I kind of didn't really want to see it, to be honest, just because of claims of white feminism and stuff and me not being bothered. But, like, enough of you have asked me now for commentary, and you, you, like, you guys actually want to talk about it and want to discuss it, so... I'm thinking next week, instead of my live at 7.30 p.m. on Monday, we will instead do a live watching of Moxie. So for those of you who don't know, there is like an extension called Netflix Party where we can all watch something on Netflix at the exact same time. Um, And there's like a little chat bar on the side where we can all live comment to each other while watching it, which I think sounds like a lot of fun. And it's like nice, you know, like just a nice night of us hanging out and enjoying ourselves and even if it's just like a frivolous, silly movie, which some of you seem to think it is, like that's fine. We can just enjoy ourselves and chat about it and escape like, you know, just trauma and sexual assault in the news 24 7, which is what we're dealing with at the moment. So I'm very keen to do that next week. I will put up a link for it in my Linkin bio on Instagram. But yes, for those of you who are interested Next Monday, which is the 22nd of March at 7.30pm, we will be doing a Netflix party to watch Moxie together. You should join us. There is a max of 50 people though, so it is first in, first served. Okay? Okay. Okay. Now, let's get into today. I have some exciting news for you guys. We have our first ever guest.
1: Yay! Yay.
0: (laughs) Uh, We are trying something new today. Very keen to see how it goes. Hopefully this means in the future we can start having more guests on the pod. Uh, But I'd like to welcome my lovely, lovely friend of the show, Vera. Hi. Vera is a friend of mine that I actually met online, like, maybe a year ago now, almost a year ago now. Uh, We've actually never met in person, but she's, like, one of the smartest people I know. And, like, everything that comes out of her mouth, I just want it embroidered on a pillow. It's amazing. (laughs) So just just a little bit about Vera. I've asked her to be on the pod today because she's a bit of a history buff. I mean, she's like literally got a bachelor's degree with a double major in like history, politics, international relations. So this is qualified. (laughs) Uh, She's got this like vast depth of knowledge about the British Empire, which is extremely relevant at the moment because today we are going to be talking about the Royals. (laughs) Uh, A few of you asked us to comment on the interview the now infamous interview between Meghan markle prince harry and oprah and i think this is actually just like a conversation where there is like surprisingly a lot we could talk about today and most of it is not even that specifically relevant to Meghan markle but just the royals in general and like I did a live the other day about it and Vera was just in the comments with like so much information on Princess Diana. I was like, wow, I should just invite you on the pod because you know more about this than I do. So <laughs> that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we'll just, yeah, we'll an interview. We'll talk a bit about like the world's reaction to said interview, our own thoughts of it, just like kind of the various relations it's had to Princess Diana And the evils of British colonialism, because I think that's probably the overarching story that's been coming out of the interview. It's just ideas about, like, the British monarchy and its entire existence in the first place. So let's get into it. I'm sure by now everybody is familiar with the Meghan
2: Harry Oprah interview. Vera, have you watched it? I have watched it. Um, I didn't watch the full thing, but I think from whatever I... I watched the bulk of it with you and then I watched like the rest of what I didn't get on YouTube and like the little clips. Yeah. So I'll just,
0: I'll do a quick summary for those of you who are maybe listening and haven't actually uh, watched it. It was like considered a bombshell interview. Basically, it's the first big interview that Megan and Harry have given. Oh, Megan. I keep saying Megan. It's Megan. <laughs> Megan and Harry have given after they left the royal family where basically they talked about a few things. Meghan opened up about uh, her mental health struggles and one of the big bombshells of the episode was that she says that she was actually like really suicidal during her time uh, in the palace and that she was actively denied mental health support because it would look bad. Uh, There were also some other bombshell allegations of racism in the family because apparently some of the royal family inquired concerns about Archie's potential skin color when Meghan was pregnant with him. And that was probably the thing people talked about the most, was just like, oh, my God, can you believe that they were concerned that Archie may be brown? Like, what does that say about the royal family? Uh, And then there were just, like, other comments about, like, um, Harry and Meghan talk about losing security and how they'd fear for their welfare and how the royals basically tossed them out on their own. And then there was like a little bit at the end about the relationship between tabloids and royals. And they kind of talked about princess Diana. So that's kind of, that was the gist of the interview, but something that I found interesting about it, which I think a lot of people probably had questions about afterwards was like what the quote, the firm is because in like discussion about the Royal family and you know, all the injustices that Megan suffered, she keeps kind of her and Harry both refer to the firm as, like, being the party that has perpetuated this against her. But they also regularly draw a line between the firm and then, like, the royal family, which can be quite confusing.
1: That was my favourite part. I felt like I was... In some sci fi dystopian Orwellian (laughs) novel or something.
0: The firm. The elite
1: Illuminati institution. (laughs) Yeah. The puppet puppet masters behind everything.
0: It was really, yeah, it was very Illuminati vibes. It was very like ominous, you know. Yeah. And they just never explain what
2: the firm is. (laughs) But they sort of like made it seem that the firm operated within the crown, but. It wasn't, or it kind of did include the queen, but not really. Yes. And then when, yeah, when Megan was like, um, oh, I went to seek mental health help from, you know, the person I trusted in the firm. And then like two seconds later, she made it very clear that she didn't go to the queen. So who is the firm? And like, what are they controlling?
0: Yeah, it's all very strange. And so I was like Googling this morning, like what the firm is in order to be able to talk about it today. And it seems like the firm very much is intertwined with the royal family. Like Megan was portraying it like they are two different entities. Like there is the royal family and then there is the firm. So the the term the firm, from what I'm getting, is actually like coined by one of the royal family members a few years ago uh, to reference the royal family, but it was like an inside joke because they're more like a firm or an institution than a royal family. Like it was kind of initially like a bit of a tongue-in-cheek way of referring to the royal family and now uh, a while later it's kind of the way we refer to as like the entire royal staff so not just the royals but you know like the PR the marketing HR Mm -hmm. the house staff like just literally anybody that is involved in this large institution that is the royal family because they I mean they are an institution and I just Wanted to bring that up because I find it very strange that Meghan and Harry are making a distinction between the royal family and the firm as if their interests are completely different mm-hmm. from each other and as if they have, like, different agendas because that's just not true. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you're right. Like, she will talk about the firm being uh, denying her certain things and then very quickly follow it up with, but the Queen is lovely. But she gave me a blanket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Queen gave me, a like, she's nice, guys. The Queen is always nice to me. She's never been, like not nice to me. She's never been rude to me. And I'm kind of just like, but I mean, the queen would obviously like never be like actually rude to you. She doesn't need to be. That's what like her henchmen are for. (laughs) That's what the firm (laughs) is. Like I'm sure the queen doesn't like physically do anything. Her job is to tell other people to do stuff like it was it felt really naive actually like i the funniest part is i don't think megan was like trying to cover up for the queen i think she like genuinely does not understand that they are the same thing in a lot of ways like the queen might not have as much material power as we think she does but she does like these are her staffers and the staff are not doing things that the queen doesn't know about
2: exactly and it's like oh queen can't be racist because she was nice to me yeah
0: literally and it's like she she really is complicit in like the firm like they are one the same because these are the queen staff members and she like knows what they're up to whether or not she stops it doesn't really like matter
2: i think it's a bit of deflection when people say oh but like the queen doesn't know everything that goes on because at the end of the day she's still the head of the family and literally and figuratively it's her name it's her face everything that's you know, and that's been what the royal family have done for for forever. It's been the the reigning monarch who, you know, is pretty much in charge of everything. So to kind of say that, oh, they had no idea or they were unaware of um, the, the experiences of Harry and Meghan as they put out in that royal statement um, they made a couple of days ago, like that to me is just like, yeah, right. Great little PR attempt. Sorry, you've... Uh, you've sent that to the wrong generation of people who just don't accept, like, standard, like, cut-and-paste apologies. So, like, try harder, sweetie.
0: (laughs) Imagine trying to apologise during, like, the council culture reign where all we do is make fun of people, like, (laughs) apologising for things. I almost pity them. (laughs) But um, what I want to bring up in regards to that was because, as I said earlier, like, probably the most controversial or, like, shocking part of this interview was actually the fact that somebody had inquired about Archie's skin tone which to me
2: was like probably the most boring and unsurprising part yeah I, I feel mean, like brown girls or like brown people everywhere just like like and like are we really surprised that like the people who like introduced or perpetuated colorism in our like ancestral lands are like racist or like colorist like
0: <laughs> literally, like that's what I just think. Like, I mean, the the royals are known for marrying for blood purity. Like, yeah, racism is not new. These are the people that like perpetuated colorism in like every fucking ethnic community. Like, the reason that like we, especially like, I literally half the things that I write about in like my career, like diaspora writing, is about like colorism and not being light enough. Like, why do you think that exists? It's because you know the British fucking colonized. India and then perpetuated their own Eurocentric beauty standards onto us and like only rewarded those that fulfilled these like white ideals and then we're like wow they would be concerned about Archie's skin tone unbelievable shocking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just I don't know it's very it's it's wild to me how much we like really well not we but people are just really in denial about yeah the royals like I think there's a real real denial of what they are and what they represent because we want to treat them like celebrities but they actually like aren't celebrities like they're royals there's actually like a real difference in the
2: way that they exist and what their roles are and that's what Megan said to at the beginning of the interview she was like I had no idea when I walked into the palace I just thought it was like meeting any other celebrity that I did on Hollywood Boulevard when I was in LA and I think it also ties into a lot of the denial and the sort of refusal to believe the the truths of what The history of the monarchy is and what it's meant to so many different people outside of the context of England. And I saw that come up a lot during um, the Black Lives Matter movement last year with a lot of the revisionist history that was coming out. Um, And you had a lot of, um, you know, historians saying that, you know, the crown, you know, is still our head of state, but they did all these awful, awful things overseas, but we just don't talk about it. Um, And so it's the same kind of thing now. It's like, this is this family is not a good family like why are you so surprised that they're you know treating a member of their own like absolute trash like we we be new like we knew this <laughs> like like I, I don't know the surprise and like the shock is it's not really coming from I'd say like the the people of color like I don't really see a lot of that kind of same sense of shock and outrage outrage yes but not that kind of shock and like oh <gasps> oh, my God, like, they could never, um, that I do when I see, you know, white women or white people talking about the royals, so.
0: Yeah, to jump off that, I actually saw a lot of commentary on black Twitter about Meghan and her role in this because people were kind of just like, Meghan is, you know, a black woman, like, she's biracial. A lot of, I think, other people of colour, especially ones that aren't super aware about the monarchy, like, kind of saw Meghan marrying into the royal family as, like, a black girl power moment. It was like a black feminist moment of like a, yes, like representation. <laughs> like, yes, get get a black woman into the royal family. Like, as if this is where our activism lies. Like, instead of wanting to abolish the monarchy, we just want to add black people into the monarchy. I mean, this is kind of what I was saying before with like Bridgerton and the fact that you can't really like have Black royals, I just ignore like the colonial and racist mm-hmm. of royalty and how that reflects upon having a black person in like royal settings because people are kind of just like, this is just another situation of a woman of color or a person of color who like has proximity to whiteness, has potentially like some white ish features, or like can be white passing, like being around proximity of whiteness, maybe. Uh, finding some benefits to having proximity to whiteness and then when that eventually falls apart because we're never actually going to be seen as white then there's shock and horror when it's just like that's not how it works like we're never going to be white and we're never going to have the privileges that white people have and in the current like structure of society that we exist in and i think for a lot of people it was really upsetting to see megan like not succeed as a royal because like that was their black feminist moment yeah. And it's just like, honey, no, <laughs> this is not feminism. This is not your moment. Like the, end, the, the extent of your activism should not be just like putting people of color in historically racist positions, like as like a revenge moment. Like that's not what this is. Like all we're seeing is a woman of color, like befriend people who have historically abused women of color and then they backstabbed her. And like, that's just all it is.
2: Mm -hmm. Same vibes of like celebrating Kamala Harris As a win for women of colour It's like actually not really Like she's just like in the oppressor's office Like living her best life With like I don't know what she gets But like it makes no difference She's not out here advocating At the grassroots level for any of us And she would easily throw us all under the bus If it meant passing some kind of policy That made her more popular Yeah
1: So could either of you tell me Exactly what the royals do? Other than just being complete figureheads and a tourist attraction?
0: Okay, look, I have spent the last week listening to a five-part podcast, like, episode series thing on Princess Diana And a part of that, like a huge conversation in that series is what the fuck do royals actually, like? there seems to be a really huge disconnect between what royals do and what we think royals do. And when when they talk about Diana in this series, like a huge part is obviously about her, her life, her death, whatever. And they talk about like the way that she constantly did like she deviated from the norm for royals and like to an ex- like in ways that we didn't realize she was deviating from the norms because we don't fucking understand royals so when she goes and does like cool philanthropic stuff we just think that that's just what celebrities do but turns out that's not what the the, the royals just like exist and look pretty and like sell, like wear fashionable clothes and like have an image i feel like from what i know just from the past week of learning about the royals that seems to be all they fucking do
2: Yeah, and they fly around to all the Commonwealth countries and, like, they have all these, like, grand lunches and dinners that, like, the country puts on for them. And they go around shaking hands and, like, taking photos and cutting ribbons and that's it.
0: Yeah, and just, like, even when I was, like, learning about Diana, it seems that her life while she was living in the palace was pretty much, like, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time she was just at home. Just at home. Like... You know, Charles was off on fucking hunting trips or whatever the fuck it is that like rich <laughs> colonizer white men do. And she was just like at home. And then when she did go out, it was like for press conferencing. And even then, something that I find really interesting, at least this is, I mean, this was more of a product of Dinah's time, but she actually never spoke at any of these press conferences. When her bombshell, yeah, did you know that? When her no. bombshell interview came out, like after the divorce and everything, people yeah. were really shocked because they realized that that was actually the first time a lot of people had ever heard her voice. Did you know that? Is oh, that not shocking? it's something that we don't realize because nowadays like with Megan I mean she's my only real kind of like Megan is when I start to actually look at the royal family I didn't really know yeah. anything about the royal family until Megan married into it because I knew who she was from suits and she's always been like you know a vocal person So I just didn't question it but they're learning about Diana and how like despite being like a huge presence and kind of being the only thing people liked about the royal family at the time like everybody fucking hated the royal family during that time but people loved Diana and she was like the PR image of the royal family and despite that no one actually like had ever really talked to her like in like a press capacity and when she did speak it was usually very minute like she would have like she would talk like in an interview with Charles like next to her but she like never really talked on her own to the press and stuff like that and it was very strange and then now when we like try and look at the royals and we're like actually trying to sit there and think about what they do like what they actually do we can't really think of anything aside from like random speeches and charity events and just like PR situations yeah because the truth is they are like irrelevant yeah outdated I'm gonna bring this back to the interview for a second because something that I realized or something that I feel like isn't talked about enough is like Harry's role in the interview because he like kind of comes in in this second half right and he talks about a bit more in depth about the actual like royal protocol side of it and like his feelings cuz Meghan was like an outsider that married in and then was eventually kicked out and it's a very different situation to being the actual royal like actual in the in the line of heirs so mm-hmm. like Harry has you know a unique perspective on the situation and he talks about he talks about racism and stuff which we'll get to in a second but something that i found very interesting was like he also talks about being trapped and how unfair it is, like being a royal and how it's actually not as glamorous as it looks. And he really pities, you know, he, like he, he calls for compassion for um, Charles and Prince William and like the royal family. He calls us to be compassionate towards them because they're actually trapped and I think that's really relevant to what we just talked about because I think it just shows us how fucking out of touch royals are. <laughs> like,
2: literally. How
0: little we like expect of them. That, like, Harry can sit up there from his like million dollar fucking mansion thing that he's living in and he's like been an heir his whole life, he's been rich and famous his whole life, and he is talking about being trapped. And how uncomfortable and sad it is and how he really feels sorry for other royals because they're just living this horrible life. And what really got me when I was listening to this Princess Diana series by You're Wrong About is they also talk a little bit about how being a royal is, quote, a human rights abuse. And I really, like, didn't like that for a number of reasons. First of all, it completely belittles, like, actual human rights abuses that we, like, fucking see on a daily basis that the crown perpetuates, like, <laughs> that the royals are responsible for. Like, it is not human rights abuse to have fucking rich people, like, just, like, existing as royals. And we just, like, don't really expect anything of them except to, like, smile for the press. I think we can have conversations about how that lifestyle emotionally stunts you, About it make it makes you, like, completely ignorant you have no sense of empathy like we can talk about the ways that it stunts human growth and your ability to socialize but to act like it's an abuse or these people are
2: trapped i feel like just completely trivializes like actual abuse you know yeah and i feel like that's why so like or at least personally for me i'm in such two minds about feeling sympathy for harry megan like yeah i can Extend like a bit of like oh that that's that must been so hard for you but like at the end of the day let's not forget they're the ones who just got I don't know a hundred million dollar Netflix deal you know they're living their best life in their mansion like you know COVID who like you know just like the rest of us out here like slumming it and they're just at the end of the day they're always going to be able to live off the crown maybe not directly by association but the titles and the fame and whatever status they have by proxy that's going to carry them through and that's going to be there for their children and even their grandchildren like yeah so as fun as it is to say that they got out i don't really think they got out because all they all they did was just like get a netflix deal but still talk about the royal family so yeah okay i'm glad
0: you said that because i was thinking about that too upon like doing a rewatch of the interview and Harry talks about, like, they got thrown out, they got cut off. It's so lucky that he had inheritance from his mother because otherwise they would, like, have no money. And I'm just thinking that's, like, never going to be true. When you got, like, removed from the royal family, like, it is not right to be comparing it to, like, being a kid that gets kicked out of your house with nothing. <laughs> like, you exactly. never. You have enough allies and rich millionaire celebrity friends to never really be on your own. Like, you are never going to be homeless.
1: But I feel like this is just a great point of how the ideology of of power and capital has manifested today. Like, we have never been so depressed. Depression is, while it's not a new thing, like in the 90s, we saw a very direct increase in depression among young people. And that, in a way, has to do with the internet because the way the internet has come to pervade every aspect uh, of life has made us work more and we work so hard. But now it's like, It shows how manipulative power and capital is because now it's like we have depressed billionaires. You know, like they take depression, which is like a working class issue, really and a serious one. But now it's like, well, it's actually really hard to, you know, be in all this power, and they turn it back into reinforcing capital and reinforcing power.
0: Yeah, because like, well, I, I don't mean to undermine like Megan's struggle. Like, I definitely sympathise with her because. Like, also, she started off as a working class person that ended up in this kind of ruling class situation. So, I do have sympathies for Meghan. But I think you're right, Mitch, in like the way that Harry and the royals have spun this narrative to really paint Harry and Meghan like these poor social outcasts that are slumming it, which is obviously far from the truth, is insidious. It is how we maintain power structures because what it eventually tells us is that they're not that different to us, that they may be millionaires, but we have the same struggles, which is, yeah, disingenuous because we don't have the same struggles. Like, Megan's situation, I think, is quite specific. But if we want to talk about the others, like Charles and William, I don't give a fuck about their mental health. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. Um, because, like, these people's entire living, they're, like, worth their, their the luxury that they they honestly live in luxury like the amount of fucking house stuff that they have the clothes that they have the food that they have like they get that in return for like looking pretty and waving and like saying speeches it is like not comparable to the struggle of like poor people
1: and yeah i'd probably i wouldn't be surprised if you told me that life wasn't particularly fulfilling but i'm not sympathetic towards that struggle you know
0: well there's a difference between like being fulfilled in life and like fucking dying of poverty like, that's, that's the key difference here is, like, the, like, you still have your needs met. These people are, like, bored and, like, probably, like, kind of depressed about not being able to do all the crazy shit that they want to do. And, like, yes, we can say they're unhappy, but to compare it to, like, actual, like, genuine struggle, like, inescapable struggle, trapped struggles of working class people that are doomed, it is just so fucking out of touch and it it's so out of touch i was so annoyed and you know what i mean oprah kind of somewhat calls them out for it she actually says please explain how you prince harry raised in a palace and a life of privilege literally a prince how you were trapped <laughs> she actually Love says that, that and then he responds trapped within the system like the rest of my family are my father my brother they are trapped they don't get to leave and i have a huge compassion for that and I just think, leave. I mean, like, they technically could leave. Like, you just left, <laughs> you know? Like, they technically could be like, you know what? We're stepping down. And the reason that they don't, and this is probably, like, the crux of the issue, the reason that these people are, quote, unquote, trapped, they're not trapped. They just don't want to sacrifice the luxury that they have and leave the role. Because that's what this is about. It's like, we're trapped because we only we have the choice of either being royals and having to press up our ass every day. Or living a working man's life. And we don't wanna live a working man's life, so we're just gonna stay in our, in our miserable but rich life, because we'd rather be rich and then we're gonna cry about being trapped. It's like, you can leave, you just would be sacrificing your wealth. And that is so unfathomable to you that you see it as trapped. I just, I have no sympathy. I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> Especially about Charles. I'm sorry, after I've spiraled about Diana, I'm like, Charles can go fuck himself. <laughs> I just, bye.
2: I don't care about you. Yeah, Charles is, like, he's a very racist guy. Like, even if we just look back, like, in the 2000s, like, he made comments about First Nations people. He made comments about Indians, about Chinese, like... Yeah, I was looking
0: into, like, the racism of the British family today after, like, the interview, because I was just like, I don't like how... This interview has kind of painted the Archie thing as like an exceptional form of racism that is uncommon in the palace. Like there is definitely a narrative of like this shocking thing they said about Archie's potential like skin color is like not normal for them. It's like, okay, let me just give y'all some fucking examples that I got from like a five second Google search today. Charles, like Vera just said, when he came to Australia, he asked First Nations people, do you guys still throw spears at each other? (laughs) <laughs> he actually said mm. that and also when they toured china he told some british students in china that if they stayed here too long they would get quote slitty eyes
1: uh.
0: yeah like he actually said that and i just like i was just researching like instances of casual racism among the royals just to kind of prove a point point. and do you know much about princess michael of kent vera no she actually wore a really really racist and offensive brooch to a lunch with Meghan Markle. Like this brooch was I don't know if you know what black mall jewelry is, but it's essentially jewelry that depicts like really exotified, racist blackfacey kind of depictions of Africans. It's kind of like gollywogs. Stop it. <laughs> yeah? What? Yeah, you can google it. She also, like, went to a restaurant in New York City and then yelled at a bunch of black American diners and told them to go back to the colonies because they were being too loud, apparently. She apologized for that because she got called out for being racist. And do you you want to know what she said in her apology? No, no, I love black people. Once I actually loved black people so much that I actually pretended to be, quote, half-caste African, and I dyed my hair black, but my light-coloured eyes gave it away.
1: Oh, my. (laughs) This doesn't sound real.
0: (laughs) Fucking Google it. Like, this is actually real, what she said. Like, this is how out of touch and completely irrelevant these royals are. Her father, uh, Princess Michael of, of Kent, her father was actually a major in the Nazi SS. And this woman has two black... I think they're sheep that she named. She named her black animals Serena and Venus. I mean... She named two black animals after black women who have historically and racistly been compared to black animals. And she thinks she's probably complimenting them. Like, this is... This is the royal family, guys. Like this is
1: this is nothing new.
0: This is not new. This Archie thing, if anything, is actually surprisingly less racist than usual. Like the fact that they weren't naming who it was be- implies that there is a shame in it. Which to be to be honest, is like surprising because normally the royal family just says racist shit and doesn't even realize that they're being racist.
2: <laughs> like but, like even. Harry and Meghan not wanting to name the person, like at the end of the day, they're still protecting the firm. Well, like, exactly. Not, yeah. Like it's not a heroic thing for them to come out and say, like, oh, they made all these comments and they're not name and shame. Like, if you wanted, if you really wanted to turn your backs completely and you really wanted to give up all your ties to your family and you are so hard done by and you are victims of this awful institution, why wouldn't you just let the mic drop? Yeah, drop the what? fucking names. What? Yeah, what's holding you back? Why do you still want to be? Why do you still want them to be? You know, thankful to you for not outing whoever it was that said that. Yeah, and this
0: was the confusing thing about the interview because it seems to be in two minds. Like Meghan and Harry seems to be in two minds because on one hand they would talk about like how betrayed they were, but they like would constantly reiterate that there are no hard feelings. That I mean, like Meghan talks about how she like actually calls the Queen every couple of weeks and just checks in on her, sees if she's okay, and like. It's so strange because I think we as, like, the audience and especially, like, how Twitter and the internet works, we've kind of created our own narrative of Meghan and Harry being like, fuck you, royals, and just... But that's just not what's happened, and we're all yeah. kind of in denial because we just really want to see them upend the monarchy. We want to see that, but that's not what happened, like, it's not what happened, especially with Harry, like, continuously being like, I know that they said something kind of racist, but also, like, don't be mad at them, guys. Like, They're trapped. Be, have compassion for them like this defense this yeah it's a defense of the royal family while also calling them out is like weird and doesn't really make sense and i think it just goes to show how much like harry especially harry in particular because i'm like i'm sympathetic to megan as like somebody who started off as a working class black woman and kind of ended up in the situation like i'm not that interested in criticizing her there's not much i can say that's already been said about her to be honest but with harry in particular what frustrates me it's like, people are fucking praising him right now. I swear to God, like every tweet, every TikTok is like, oh my God, woke King Harry, like calling out the racist. Like Harry is not sparing any witnesses. You know, there's just all this like weird hype around. I'm like, did we watch the same interview? Like the only kind of jamming thing he said was when he was like, oh, you know, now my dad doesn't pick up my calls anymore. But then he says, <laughs> he says at the end of the interview that that's fine and they're on a calling basis now. So he kind of backtracks on that. Like if you actually like there is a yeah. transcript of the interview on The Sun if you guys want to read it, where he actually like backtracks. And it's just like this is nowhere near as radical or anti-racist or whatever as we want it to be. And also, like, have we forgotten how much of a racist Prince Harry was? Like, are we just gonna ignore that like he wore a Nazi uniform at like a costume party? And I'm pretty sure he like was with one of his military friends and like said he's starting to look like a quote raghead. And he also calls one of his, like, soldier people's wives a packy. And, like, this guy has, like, he's, like, done, like, racist shit, you know? And while I'm, like, yeah, sure, there is room for growth, he talks about how, like, he was really unaware of racial bias until he met Megan. And, like, are we just going to let that slide, though? Like, are we just going to kind of be, like, oh, like, it's fine that he knew absolutely nothing about racism because he dated a black woman and now it's okay. It's
1: just another example of POC having to teach white people about not being racist.
0: Yeah, literally. And I'm sorry, but this man has the fucking resources and the fucking money to, like, know about shit. I feel like I'm somewhat forgiving sometimes to, like, working-class racist people. But, like, you are the ruling class. Like, this man, like, creates narratives. And I think that's something we don't think about a lot with the royal family as well, because a lot of us, especially, like, non-British people... We kind of see them as like these kind of dumb celebrities that just like do what they're doing and they just like wear fancy clothes and they're kind of irrelevant. But they really do create narratives. They really do have a say in the way things are shown in the press. And that's something else that I found. And that's probably the most, most interesting part of the interview to me. Like probably the only thing in there that I actually found was like new, interesting information was when Harry talks about the relationship between the press And the royals. He does this in the context of the royals being trapped, but I'm just going to ignore that section because I don't care about (laughs) it. (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll read you guys a quote from the transcript. And I guess one of the most telling parts, and the saddest parts, I guess, was over 70 members of parliament, female members of parliament, both conservative and labor, came out and called out the colonial undertones of articles and headlines written about Meghan, yet no one from my family ever said anything over those three years that hurts. I also am acutely aware of where my family stands and how scared they are of the tabloids turning on them. And then Oprah says, turning on them for what? They're the royal family. And Harry says, yes, but it's, there's this invisible or what's termed or referred to as the invisible contract behind closed doors between the institution and the tabloids. He goes on to say that, like, if you as a family member are willing to wine, dine and give full access to these reporters, then you will get better press. And Oprah is kind of playing like the antagonist here. And she's like, well, why do you care about press? Like, you're royal. You guys can know the fuck you want. Like, why do you care about what is being said about you? And then Harry says, you know, we need to have compassion. There is a level of controlled like, fear that has existed for generations. And he's, like, very, like, he really is pushing the idea that, like, for generations they have been controlled by fear of the press. And it's kind of weird because Oprah's like, who's controlling whom? Like, you guys are the institution. Like, what are you talking about? From our point of view of the public, you guys are the ruling class. And Harry's all like, no, like... The press controls us, and it's kind of like they talk about it very ambiguously. Oprah kind of asks some specific questions that are answered very ambiguously by Harry. But essentially, what him and Me- him and Megan are saying is that like there's this symbiotic relationship between the the institution, the firm, uh, and the press. Where like, the tabloids come over, have holiday parties, buddy buddy with like the firm, and then in return for these, I guess like privileges the royals will, like, get good press attention and be able to feed the stories to the press that they want to get out into
1: the world. Yeah, this is what I thought was, like, most interesting about uh, the interview, was describing this, like, symbiotic relationship between uh, the royals and the tabloids. And in a way, we've actually talked about this subject before, all the way back in episode 14, our episode, This Isn't Wholesome, This is Capitalist Dystopia. Uh, We use Noam Chomsky's and Edward Herman's theory of the propaganda model uh, which I think pretty effectively describes why certain stories get told and why they're told in the way they are. And essentially what uh, those two theorists suggest is that there is five different filters. And the one that I think describes this scenario is the third filter, which is that of sourcing, which is the idea that there exists a really powerful relationship between mass media outlets and other powerful institutions. And this is because news outlets aren't able to deploy journalists in absolutely everywhere, and they can't cover every single possible story that ever gets told. So media outlets deploy journalists uh, where they think news is going to happen. Uh, So they are centered around typically powerful institutions that are considered newsworthy. So in this case, it would be Buckingham Palace or in America, it's the White House. And then it creates this feedback loop. Because journalists are there, they report on what happens, And then there's a positive uh, symbiotic relationship where they both reinforce each other's power. And what we're seeing here with the, the royals describing is the fact that really they don't have power unless we have a media institution to reinforce and validate that power. As we've been talking about before, like the royals don't do anything. They don't really have any material control and the status that they exert really just exists in our minds. So without a media... Uh, outlet to capture and to materialize that power which is completely discursive it doesn't really exist
0: yeah well i mean they're just not fucking real are they like the monarchy is like imaginary (laughs) like literally none of it is fucking weird it's just like it's a concept like they only have power because we like think they have power
2: exactly like the whole concept of monarchy was that god came down to give them the right to rule over anyone else and Somehow, like thousands of years later, we're still hooked on the idea that God has come down and chosen like this particular family for like crusty white lizard people (laughs) to somehow like live in a giant ass house. Like, I'm sorry, but like, no, like I'm just rejecting that outright. There is no way God would do us so dirty. Like, have you looked at Prince Philip? That man is a vampire. (laughs) Like he literally (laughs) looks undead. A
1: goddamn ghoul.
2: (laughs) Literally, like well, there is no way. Exactly, and I feel like people seem
0: to forget that the whole reason that because mon- people don't seem to understand like the history of the monarchy, which is fair because I mean I don't know fuck all about the monarchy until like a week ago either. But like we kind of just think that like there used to be a governmental kind of power and then things have changed. I don't think people realize that the monarchy literally exists on the basis of the divine right of to rule of kings. Like this concept is why the monarchy exists. They ex- Their genesis is because they literally claimed that God, you know, chose them. And, they- and this is, and like Prince William and Harry and all that, they are the most modern version of that. The only reason these people have the money that they do is because of previous claims that God chose them.
1: But it's like British people who like the royals don't actually believe in any of this i imagine a lot of them don't believe that like monarchy is the best way to operate a country and a lot of them probably don't believe in god yet they're still going to say god bless the queen because it's a cute thing you know it's like oh i love watching you know this this wealthy bourgeois family like exciting things i can live vicariously through them and it's like what are they wearing like it's something to talk about it's gossip right yeah and if the tabloids don't aren't there to reinforce their power and people growing up seeing this everywhere, then they're just not going to have any status.
0: I was just going to say, like, the reason... I think what Harry was maybe, like, failing to actually properly address in his, like, very weird commentary on the press was that the royals only have relevance and interest because of the press and the press only has so much power because of the royals, right? And so we don't really need the fucking tabloids in the UK and we don't really need the monarchy either, But they know that we don't need them and they know that they will continue to be relevant by helping each other and that is the way it exists. And I think there are – we could say some really interesting things about the UK press if we even look back to, like, Diana because, like, let's talk about the press and the royals and the relationship that they have had historically. Like, if you look back at Diana back when she was alive, part of the reason that people speculate that the royals hated her, this is prior to her death, this is, like, during her marriage with Charles – is because they were threatened by how much people liked her like it Mm -hmm. was very unexpected uh diana married charles and she was 19 and he was 32 and they just kind of thought that he was married i know (laughs) the face vera is making right now (laughs) yeah literally (laughs) she was 19 and he was 32 which is something that i don't think a lot of us know about i mean i didn't to be honest i didn't know
2: anything about diana until like a week ago because she i mean she died a year before i was born isn't it so funny that like we both don't know like i don't know like so much about diana but I know we've spoken about both of our families and, like, they see families having some weird, weird obsession with Diana and the royals, and it's like, like, mum, like, stop giving in to these colonial overlords. Like, they are, they're not doing anything for you. Like, please.
0: Yeah, it's like, mum, they colonised us. What are you doing? <laughs> are you no, doing- it's so true, but, the, I mean, we can get into why desis love Diana in a second. Uh, spoiler alert, it's because she had a relationship with a brown guy. <laughs> Scandalous. But, um, yeah, with Diana, like, initially she wasn't really seen as a threat and she was, like, the good girl that they married Prince Charles off to so that he could, like, have an heir and they could just, like, stop getting hounded by the fact that Charles hadn't fucking married anyone yet and everybody was very annoyed about it. Like, it was just a political decision and she was, like, deemed, like, inoffensive and young and easily moulded into the role. And so it was kind of just, like, a political part on them. And they, they were, like, probably paid this on the back and being, like, oh, good job, everybody. And then, like, Diana actually ended up, like, having an attitude – And, like, kind of doing whatever she wanted for, I mean, as much as she could, given her situation. And she was, like, surprisingly very good at, like, empathizing with people, which is something the royals up until now are fucking terrible at. Like, we've talked extensively today about just how out of touch they are, how ignorant they are. Most people agree that this is the case with the royals. Even if they like the royals, they're still can understand that the royals are pretty fucking useless and they're like these weird zoo animals that like grew up in captivity and don't know anything about the world it's very strange some people like it because it's fascinating but we can all agree that it's fucking weird and so diana comes in and she's maybe a little bit different to most british aristocrats in the sense that she like grew up with divorced parents which was a big deal at the time and she like worked you know as like a waitress at some point and a dance teacher like she worked first of all which a lot of British aristocrats don't do because they just like live in their nice little manners and she like had an apartment in like London and she was kind of like just around working class people in a way that other royals weren't and it kind of just made her like humanize people in ways that the royals typically wouldn't and I mean some of the things that she's really well known for during like her time in the royals kind of era was when she was like a real advocate for people with AIDS Um, Mm -hmm. which was a really big deal at the time because everybody was treating people with AIDS like these horrible vermin. It was incredibly homophobic. It was incredibly classist. It was just a horrible situation. People are, like, dying at, you know, exponential rates from AIDS. And Diana was, like, very much involved in the dance and theatre scene at a time and was just friends with, like, a lot of gay people. And she was just watching her friends die. And she was, like, she cared about this issue. And I'm not going to say she did a huge amount of activism on it because there's a difference between, like, talking about something and actually, like doing something but her Mm -hmm. talking about it was a big deal at the time because she was a royal and because she gave these people like value in the sense that the public doesn't care about you know poor gay men dying from AIDS but then Diana cares about them and they care about Diana and they're like well if Diana sees something in this maybe there is something in this so she was like valuable to people in that way like just the public liked her and the press like I mean is ultimately what killed her uh, I mean, we can we can have a whole other rabbit hole into conspiracy wow, theories. Uh, that's a really no, funny way of saying
2: Charles, Slea. That's a really funny
0: way of saying. I agree. I, I'm, when I say ultimately what killed her, I mean, like, legitimately the press chased her and then she got into a car crash. So they, like, literally, like, kind of caused her car crash.
1: What a great metaphor.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, look, we can have a whole other conversation about just, like, all the conspiracy theories on how Dinah could have died. But just, I'm going to say from, like, what people were saying at the time as well, because the conspiracy theories kind of happened a little bit after her death. When she died, the first people that were blamed were the press, because mm-hmm. not long before she died, a photo of her on a yacht kissing her boyfriend at the time sold for $3 million, which is fucking insane. Or 3 million pounds. I don't know how many dollars that is. But like that, like the press allowing that to happen and actually paying that much for a picture of Princess Diana is what created this craze that ended up leading her being chased to her fucking death and whatnot. And it's just like the relationship she had with the press and the way she was hounded is very interesting because prior to Diana, the relationship the royals had with the press was very different. Like scandals were less reported on and it was more symbiotic, I think, the relationships they had with the press. And then Diana kind of like was a wrench, a spanner in the works and things shifted. And now we see this fucking disgusting tabloid shit around Meghan and the parallels are interesting.
2: Yeah, there was also a lot of Islamophobia around Diana and her um boyfriend because he was an Egyptian Muslim man. Yeah, yes, so Diana. Was, yeah. So like the the trend of demonizing minorities in relation to the royals, like that's not new. Like Yeah. Yeah, Diana was our relatable queen, but like her her plight and her like journey with the press is not something that, you know, no one could have ever foreseen. Um, not repeating itself because that's exactly what we're seeing with Megan. And, like, she's a biracial woman. Diana was dating a, um, a man of colour, a Muslim man of colour, which adds another layer to things because we all know how England hates <laughs> everyone who's fucking brown. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: Well, did you know,
2: this is a little fun fact, the
0: guy that she was dating, his father is actually the main guy behind a lot of the conspiracy theories yeah. of Diana's Yeah, he, like, death. refuses
2: to believe that his son, like, was killed in the car crash.
0: Yeah, he's just... And he... I mean, even before his son was killed, like, even back when he was just, like, friends with Diana, like, he always talked about the fact that um, the royals are Islamophobic and they
2: are, like, stopping me from, like, reaching my full potential and they're, like, getting in my way. Yeah, well, like, in 1996, like, Diana literally wrote, like, a letter... In which she said that, like, Charles was planning, or like, she said, Mr. X, don't know who that is, my bet is Charles, was planning a car crash because her car had actually been tampered with. And she was literally, like, scared. She was concerned for her safety. And when Megan was saying that she was also concerned for her own safety and the safety of her child, I was like, is this not just a 2021 Diana situation? Like, are we not just living.
0: It was wild how like there were so many similarities between Diana and Meghan's like, stories. I definitely noticed that, especially the way they talked about the press and the way they talked about the royals like not stepping in to protect Meghan slash Diana from the press because they're, they're too scared themselves of the press. I just like, yeah, I mean, Oprah didn't seem to buy that and I don't know how much I buy that because it's like, even if the press is only reporting bad things about you, as a royal it still maintains your wealth mm-hmm. like anything the press says about you be it good or bad maintains your relevance when you have none so i'm just like i don't know i don't really buy all this like oh no we're just scared of the press like you you guys are like rich white people it's different for megan who's black like there is genuine fear on her end but like no one's going to fucking do anything to like Prince William. You know what I mean? Like the pro- yeah. what is the press gonna say about Prince William? Like, what about Andrew, who's a fucking like alleged child
2: rapist trafficker person? <laughs> like Literally all Megan had to say was like, I don't feel comfortable raising my child around a literal sex offender, like a literal child rapist. <laughs> Exactly. Like, all she had to say was that and then leave. Like, that could have been the end of the interview.
0: Which is like, why I don't buy arguments about, like, fear of the press. Because if, if, like, the royal family really didn't step in for that regard, that makes no fucking sense because Andrew is actually, like, being accused of being in cahoots with Jeffrey Epstein and, like, raping kids and he came off scot-free. So y'all are, y'all are immune to the press. Don't talk to me about, like, being vilified for the press, but Andrew could get away with that. And Meghan yeah, couldn't literally. get away with holding a baby bunk and eating abo toast. I guess what the the whole point of this podcast episode today was about is just, like, we need to be really fucking critical of, like, the royals and just their existence in general because, like, these people have a history of racism and colonialism and imperialism where they, like, have destroyed the lives of, like, countless people. I was doing like, a quick Google search today of just, like, the evils of the monarchy and the amount of, like, horrible shit you read about concentration camps and people they murdered and gunned down. Like, it's just horrific and it's strange how much we remove that from the monarchy that exists today it is strange how much we see them as two separate entities and we see like william and harry as just like modern people that aren't involved in that treachery and it's like yeah but their wealth is built off it like the reason that they live in these fucking castles and can afford all this wealth and like live the like glamorous life that they live is because they went and colonized all these other countries the queen never fucking returned india's jewels and for that i'll never forgive her (laughs) like this is just this is what these people are, and they are nothing more than that, and we can't, like, give them, like, celebrity status because they're not celebrities. Like, there is... Celebrities, in some ways, are still workers. You know, like, they, like, work an acting job, and they get paid for it. They might get overpaid for it, but they're, like, still performing a labor. Like, the royal family is not performing a labor.
1: There's nothing to celebrate when it comes to royalty.
0: Yeah, nothing mm. at all. So, I guess that's... that's um, Like, we got to be critical of it. And also, can we just stop making TikToks about Harry being our woke king? End this yeah. now. End this... L- like celebrating a white mediocrity. It's over. I'm canceling it.
2: <laughs> Harry is over party. Where is that hashtag? <laughs> exactly.
1: Cool. Well, thanks for listening. I think this is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our listeners. Uh, specifically, we'd like to thank Pia, Beck, Naya, Rachelle, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So thank you so much.
0: If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash and if signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash to support future episodes, because we, unlike the Royals, actually perform a labour. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at sleeha Official, and give me a follow if you like today's episode.
1: And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film, music, and books.
0: Vera, is there anywhere people can find you, any kind of work they can check
2: out? So you can find me on Instagram at vera.ramaya or um, check out a portfolio of my work, um, veramaya.journoportfolio.com.
0: I'll add all those links in our description. Uh, and also, if you guys have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here's the thing though podcast at gmail.com. And please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe, it really helps the podcast get out there. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.